You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. You may not have realized this, but um, by attending our service today, um, you actually stepped into a a rally um, with a group of protesters. Um, This is a revolutionary gathering, um, a worldwide spiritual resistance movement. And you should know that if you're um, visiting today, if you're associating yourself with people like us, you're associating yourself with something subversive and something resistant. And some of you are thinking, I hope he prays again so I can slip out the back, right? Um, But in all seriousness, we are a resistant movement. The church is a resistance movement. We resist the flesh. We resist the godless culture around us. And we resist the devil. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in our message, that the Christian life is not passive. The Christian life is not something you just kind of float through. Um, The Christian life is war. It's a great conflict. In fact, believe it or not, by deciding to get up today on a day like today, oh man, he can really use that, can he? And, and, And a day like today, by deciding to get up and come to church anyways, you won a little battle there. The Lord helped you win a little battle. Every moment of our lives is a battle, whether we realize it or not. Um, The Christian life is a life of warfare. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about as he wraps up this letter. And it's really um, a brilliant use of metaphor, but it's not disconnected from the rest of the letter. Um, He's actually going to take a lot of different strands that he's already been teaching and kind of weave them together in this beautiful tapestry as he wraps up this letter and shows us, hey, it's critical that you obey what we've been talking about. It's critical that you understand how important all of this stuff we've been talking about is because you are in a war. And it's a very serious war. And so with that in mind, before we jump in, I do want to give you um, a background because we're finishing Ephesians today. And for you to appreciate the ending, I think you'll be encouraged as we just briefly touch on what we've covered so far. And so in Ephesians, what we've learned um, is that we have been swept up into the cosmic plan of God to reconcile sinners to himself and to restore this broken creation. That he's actually going to unite all things to himself and bring them other, under um, the sovereign reign of Christ. Where Christ is going to rule and there will there'll be no more sin and no more death. And, and that's what we're looking forward to. And this reconciliation is what, with Jews and Gentiles into this new humanity called the church. And the church joyfully submits to the reign of Christ. And this also involves the restoration of the cosmos, which we just talked about. And if you remember in chapter 1, we saw that we were chosen by the Father. We were redeemed by the Son. We were sealed by the Spirit. We saw that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. That's how we start. In chapter 2, we're reminded of our hopeless condition before Christ. And how God, being rich in mercy, saved us. And gave us good works to do for his glory. I love that. Saved us unto good works. Right? Um, Chapter 2. In chapters 2, at the end of chapter 2, kind of moving into chapter 3, we saw the amazing mystery of the gospel and how Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. And that God is using the church, I love this, to display the manifold wisdom to the cosmic authorities and rulers in the heavenly places. And so that's why I say this isn't disconnected. Because in chapter 1, he talked about all spiritual blessings. He talks about the power available to us. And then in chapter 3, he's like, God's using you. Like, look around for a minute. This group, like he's using us to display the manifold wisdom of God. 
to cosmic authorities. And so I joked when we preached that message that we exist to spread a passion for the glory of Jesus in Port Austin and beyond. And by beyond, I mean beyond, like cosmic authorities who are watching. And what is God doing with this group? And why does he love them so much? And, and, and why do they constantly rebel against him? And yet he pursues them and they don't get it, but it shows the wisdom and the glory and the beauty of God. And then at the end of chapter three, as I just mentioned, Paul's like, I know that I just shared all these gospel truths about how much God loves you, but you really, you're just scratching the surface. The love of Christ is limitless. And so I'm going to pray for you, Ephesians, and and also us, that, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love that. Chapter four starts off with therefore. So in light of all these gospel truths, we ought to live in this way. Therefore, walk worthy of the calling you've been called to. And, and he applies this worthy walk to putting off the old self and putting on the new. He, he talks about our marriage as being a picture of Christ and his church and, and keeping Christ at the center of our homes. And last week we saw him apply the gospel to the workplace. And I hope that was an encouragement to you. Um, and by the way, since all of this was review, none of that counts towards my time uh, for the message today. So if, if you're timing me, um, the clock starts now, okay? <laughs> that brings us to the end of chapter 6, where he's going to address spiritual warfare and the armor of God. The famous Ephesians passage, um, no, I don't have a picture of a soldier for you. I know you were dying to see the soldier, um, but we're just going to talk about it, all right? Use your imagination. Um, but each piece of armor you'll see is tied closely to the gospel truths that he's been teaching. And so these aren't just random that he's pulling out. They're also um, tied to God's um, armor that he wears in the Old Testament as the divine warrior, um, which we often don't highlight God as a divine warrior who fights for his glory, who fights for his people. I mean, that's awesome, right? Talk about God before us who can be against us. And so he, but here what he wants to do is he wants to kind of raise the temperature a bit and show us how critical all this really is. Like, we're not just like, yeah, put on the new, put off the old. Yeah, like, no, this is war, right? This is war, and you need armor, and you need strength from God, and that's what he's going to be talking about today. And so our points are going to be from 10 through 20, and they're going to be be strong in the Lord, put on God's armor, and pray at all times. So let's look firstly at be strong in the Lord. In verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want to highlight, first of all, the command to be strong here is in the passive voice, very similar to the command to be filled in chapter 5. And so you could say be strengthened or be made strong. So in other words, we don't muster up the strength from within, right? We're saying, we're saying, God, would you make me strong? Be strong in the Lord. Um, it emphasizes that, yes, it is a command. We obey this command, but it's a command that only God can ultimately help us obey. Um, we trust in the Lord and ask him to strengthen us. And strangely, normally when a, when a soldier goes to battle, putting on armor doesn't normally strengthen them. It protects them. It defends them. It prepares them. It doesn't normally give them strength. But in this sense, spiritually speaking, actually putting on the armor is what gives us the strength of the Lord. Um, That's what he ties it to in verse 11. The way we are to be strong in the Lord is to put on his armor. And we'll discuss that more in the next point. But I want you to notice we do this so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
The schemes here emphasize that Satan is crafty. He's deceptive. I'm always telling you sin is deceiving, right? It looks so good. And that's why we fall for it. These are schemes. They're deceptive. They're crafty. They're systematic attempts to destroy us, to trap us. And can I just say that Satan has um, a book. He probably has several books. He may have a book on you. And he knows exactly where to deploy his schemes um, to trip you up, to keep you from spreading a passion for God's glory. And then in verse 12, why do we need to be strong in the Lord? Well, why is this so critical? Because we're not fighting a flesh and blood battle. We're fighting against spiritual rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of evil in the heavenly places. These are personal demonic beings who are sent to attack, who are sent to trip us up. And, 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 and we know that Christ will hold us fast. But I just wonder if Satan is so deceived by his own pride that he really thinks he can take you back into the kingdom of darkness. And he is doing everything he can as a vanquished foe who's bleeding out, right? Because Christ laid the death blow on the cross. So he's just bleeding out to death. But he hates you and he wants to pull you into the kingdom of darkness. And he's using these spiritual tactics, these schemes to try to trip us up. Now, what we should say is that Satan is not all powerful. He's not all present like God. It's, it's not like a, a cosmic battle. In that sense, God could flick and Satan would be gone. Okay, so we need to remember that. And, and C.S. Lewis helps us when he says there's two categories when we're dealing with spiritual warfare. He says there's some over here who just kind of ignore it, who just go through life like it's not real. Go, yeah, I believe in God, but you really believe in the devil. You really, and and that's, a, that's a scheme of the devil. That he has used, I think, the media to portray him as this guy with a pitchfork and horns so that we could just laugh rather than take him seriously. But then there's the camp over here that sees a demon behind every bush. And can I say that if you slept through your alarm this past week and you were late for work, I don't think it's because Satan had you in his trance. Right? It's probably because you were binge watching Netflix the night before. Okay? And so let's, let's, be, let's be healthy. Let's be balanced. Let's be biblical. Let's not be too afraid or, or fearful or seeing him behind everything. Um, but let's also realize he's real. And can I say, I think in our secular culture that we live in, we, we lean in this direction. There's a few of us who are over here, but I think a lot of us are just, we kind of laugh. Like it's not real. Um, like this isn't a serious spiritual battle. And so let's not be ignorant of the fact that Satan is at work, that his demons are at work, um, that they are trying to trip us up. He's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to understand that. He's got tailor-made schemes for you, your family, and our church. Um, they're studying us. They hate what God is doing here. If a church is closed three times in this building, do you think he's happy that it's reopening and that we're seeing some fruit here? Absolutely not. He hates what's happening here. I love what McDonald says. He says, the devil has various stratagems, discouragement, frustration, confusion, moral failure, and doctrinal error. And I think you could add a lot to that, but he's just giving you um, a sample. He knows our weakest point and he aims for it. If he cannot disable us by one method, he will try for another. And I think lately we've seen pandemics, we've seen social media, we've seen politics, we've seen um, really just stupid arguments that he is using to divide churches, to discourage Christians, um, to isolate them, um, to get them away from the church, away from the word of God. And you better believe he's taking advantage of what's happening in our culture right now. And so let's remember that that person on the other line politically is not our enemy. Satan is. And we love that person. And we, we seek to, to point them to Christ, not our political candidate. 
This is a spiritual battle. I joked a few weeks ago that we do believe in conspiracy theories. Um, Satan has one, and he has an agenda, and he's pushing it as, as fast as he can into our culture. And so let's not be ignorant. Let's not be ignorant of his devices, as Paul says. Let's realize he has schemes, um, and that we need to fight. We need to be strong in the Lord. Now, again, I want to emphasize in the Lord. So how much strength is available to us in the Lord. Well, if you go to Ephesians 1, because I remember, remember he's drawing all the stuff that he's been teaching. Um, he says this. He describes the power available to us this way. Listen. The immeasurable greatness of his power. So, so he's saying, you, you've got power. I wonder if he was like, man, you've got power as a believer. And he's like, no, no, no. You've got the greatness of his power. He's like, no, that doesn't do it. You have the immeasurable greatness of his power. Toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So as I mentioned earlier, with one tiny flick of a finger, with a blink of an eye, God could completely dispatch Satan and all of his devices, all of his schemes, all of his demons, just boom, gone. You need to understand that. So you may be thinking like, why? Like, why does he let the devil just roam around? And all I can tell you is that it brings more joy to you and more glory to him. That's what we know from the scriptures. We don't understand it. I think you could apply it um, by watching movies. The best movies, the best stories have conflict, right? Have, have heartache, have, have triumph. And I think it's going to bring more joy knowing the battles we face when we see Christ one day. There's just going to be more joy there, and I can't explain that to you fully, but trust that. But know that Satan's on a leash, and that he can only do as much as God allows him to do. And so let's take this seriously, but let's not be afraid. Because we have the Lord and the power of his might. I love what Merkel says. He says, amid intense spiritual warfare, the power to fight and stand firm comes through a genuine relationship with the resurrected and ascended Christ. That's where it comes from. And can I say, this happens before the battle. Are you developing right now an intimate, vital relationship with Christ? That's so important. After commanding us to be strong, he kind of delves into how we are to be strong by putting on the armor. And so let's look at that. Put on God's armor. And I emphasize it's God's because um, this is, is like a divine warrior opening up his armory and saying, here you go. Um, because he's, he's drawing from not only Roman soldiers, but also in Old Testament um, allusions where God is, is said to have a breastplate of righteousness and, and things like that. And so this is God's armor that he's made available to us. Um, I don't know if you like superhero movies. Um, one of my favorites is Batman. And I love the scenes in the Batman movies where they kind of shine the light on, on the, bats, the bat suit, right? And he's about to armor up and you see it all in the case and it's like epic. Um, now, I want you to think of that in, in way bigger proportions here. God is saying, here you go. It's my armor. I use it to fight with and I'm giving it to you, my children. How awesome is that? Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
And so what I want to do is look at these pieces um, one at a time. I wish, I wish we had table talk right now so we could dive in deeper afterwards. Um, but we're just going to kind of cruise through these. Um, I've heard so many great sermons, and I'm telling you I'm not going to do it justice. But I'm just going to try to help you understand so we can get Paul's big picture here. Um, first of all, the belt of truth. A Roman soldier would prepare for battle um, because they would, they would have a long um, flowing garment, and they would prepare by girding up their loins and kind of tying them together, bringing up all the loose ends. Um, and this would also kind of act as support for the other armor. Um, and it would also hold their weapons. Um, I, I think if you can imagine a guy going to battle um, um, without girding up that long groin, groin like that, that would be a problem, right? Like the enemy just kind of lifts it over his head and like stabs him in the gut, right? Um, and so, so you've got to be ready. So this has the idea of preparedness, right? Get ready. Gird up the loins of your mind like Peter talks about. Um, so it's getting ready. And notice what it is. It's truth. Paul is saying that the truth of God acts as a belt that supports all the other armor and brings preparedness, confidence, and certainty in battle. Now, commentators wrestle with these pieces of armor. Are they um, kind of objective things that are just there, or are they talking about the moral obedience of these things? So is this God's truth kind of preparing us, or is it being truthful in our day-to-day life? And I would just argue it's both. I think that God's truth flows into our life so that we are people of truth, and that is what fights against Satan, who is the father of lies. Right. Um, so we need God's truth and then we need to be people of the truth so that we can defend against the father of lies. And can I just tell you, you are not an independent thinker. The, the way that you think, believe it or not, is shaped by the movies you watch, um, the news that you watch, the people you spend time with. That's shaping how you think and how you look at the world. Do not be ignorant of the fact that you have a lens that you look through and it's different from the guy next to you. And so what do we need to do? We need to take the Bible And make that our lens and filter everything we see and everything we think and everything we watch and everything we scroll on social media through the lens of the Bible, the truth of God. All right. Satan is the father of lies. Next, breastplate of righteousness. This was a large piece of armor that would protect the chest and abdomen from blows and arrows. And as Christians, um, I think this has, again, a twofold um, idea to it. Um, Theologians would call this imputed righteousness and then imparted righteousness. Imputed is when we are declared righteous. By God himself when we place our faith in the finished work of Christ. And looking around here, I I think everyone here um, I I know has had a time where they trusted Christ. So you are declared righteous by God himself. But then imparted righteousness is actually living out who we are in Christ. And I think, again, this is twofold here. When Satan attempts to slander us or to call us unworthy or to, to point us inward to our sin and to our to our disgusting things that we hate about ourselves, where do we look? Not to our righteousness. When Satan tempts me to despair, upward I look and see him there. Christ, who made an end to all of our sin. That's where we look. That's the imputed righteousness of Christ that doesn't change. But then also, when Satan tempts us to participate in unholy living... We again take up the breastplate of righteousness and live out of our union with Christ and know that we have the foundation to be holy, to live holy lives of righteousness. All right. Next, shoes for your feet. This refers to sandals with thick leather soles that were embedded with nails or rocks similar to cleats. And it would help the soldier stand firm, but also march forward. Um, Before there were landmines, they would actually, the enemy would kind of line the fields with like sharp sticks. And I mean, if you step on one of those, you're done. And so they would put on these these leather sandals. Um, I don't know why they they took so long to kind of get 
like shoes. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like that would just be like so simple, but they have these leather sandals with these cleats and, and that would kind of help from getting punctured um, into their feet. And spiritually speaking, the gospel brings us peace. And this also prepares us for battle and gives us the readiness to proclaim the gospel to others. That's a, that's a way we advance the gospel. We fight against our enemy. We're moving way too fast. I feel like this should have been two sermons. I'm sorry. Shield of faith. This refers to a large door-shaped shield that was about four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. Um, and so what they would often do is they would actually they would get it wet ahead of time to prepare because the enemy would fire fiery darts at them and that would extinguish them. And, but this has the idea of just completely covering head to toe. They would get behind that and be completely shielded. And how awesome is that, that we're shielded um, by faith in God and his promises, which is why I always tell you, whatever you struggle with, Constantly, whatever seems to just continue to come up, besetting sins or despair, discouragement, whatever it is, find a blood-bought promise, memorize it, and use that as a shield when Satan tempts you. And put that thing down right away. Right? When Satan tempts us to despair again, we look not to ourselves, to Christ, to God and his promises. It's our faith that can, can stop the enemy in his attacks when we bank on the blood-bought promises of God in Scripture. Next, helmet of salvation. This one's pretty obvious. It was a metal helmet that would protect the head. And spiritually, it's our confidence in the gospel and our union with Christ that gives us confidence and protects us in battle. This is not us fighting. This is the Lord fighting through us. And finally, the sword of the spirit. It was a short iron sword, like a dagger, that was used for close combat. And so in a spiritual sense, we use the word of God as an offensive dagger that can be used to fight against the devil. And again, I always point you back to Christ when he was tempted. Like Christ could have done anything when the devil came and tempted him, right? He could have dropped a giant rock on Satan. He could have pulled out a lightsaber, gave him one and dueled him, right? He could have done whatever. And what did he do? He quoted scripture, which shows that scripture is all you need to fight against the devil. The devil runs from it. And so we, we, we memorize these little daggers in the word. And when Satan comes, we stab him with it. Right? Get out of here, Satan. This is my dagger. This is the word of God. And we've got, we've got it already. We don't wait and flip, flip through our, our Bible as, as Satan's coming. Right? Like we've got it ready. We've got it memorized. We've got specific daggers we can pull out and just jab into the enemy. Right? That's what it's talking about. The word of God. And I want you to notice that each of these pieces of armor are synonyms, in a sense, for the gospel. We've got truth. We've got righteousness, we've got peace, we've got faith, we've got salvation, we've got the word of God. In other, in other words, these are all ways of putting on the gospel or practically living out of our union with Christ. That's chapters 1 through 3, and then you move to the therefore of 4 through 6, living out of who we are in Christ. And so this is why I'm constantly telling you to preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel is not just for unbelievers, it's for believers, I need to hear every single day that I was a hell-deserving sinner separated from God. And yet he pursued me. He crushed his son in my place. Christ paid for all of my sins and absorbed the wrath of God. I need to hear that every single day. That he rose again to reconcile me to God. Truths like these are what protect us against the onslaught of the enemy. And so don't get wrapped up too much in the metaphor. Um, take the things that he's actually pointing to, like truth and peace and, and the word of God, and use those, those gospel truths, those blood-bought truths, when we're fighting against the enemy. Because of the gospel, we have salvation from sin. 
We have acceptance and approval from God. We have an unshakable identity. We have everlasting joy. And we have the glorious hope of eternal life, just to name a few. Truths like these act like spiritual armor that can, fight, that can help us fight against our enemies. So we're commanded to be strong in the Lord. The way we do that is by putting on God's armor. And lastly, he's going to say, pray at all times. Pray at all times. In verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Right now we need to hear that, right? We're getting late into the sermon. Some of us are maybe dozing. No, nobody's dozing. But keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here Paul's going to wrap up this section by commanding us to pray. And and twice he uses the word supplication, which would be defined as this earnest or urgent request to God. There's several different ways to pray. There's adoration, there's confession, there's thanksgiving, there's supplication. Supplication is this earnest or this urgent request. Remember, we are in a battle. And so the way we fight is we make these earnest and urgent requests to God and for, for ourselves and for all the saints. And notice that Paul also asked the Ephesians to pray for him. And and I would just say, I would ask you to pray for me. I'm in no means the same as the Apostle Paul. But but I do have a job to proclaim the gospel. And and Paul desires to share the gospel freely, clearly, and candidly. If you kind of summarize what he asks for. And can I say that's all of our jobs? This should be all of our aim as well, that we would do that. Which is why we need to be praying for one another. But what you need to see here is that prayer is not a seventh piece of armor. However, it's intricately connected to the rest, and it's how we are to be strong in the Lord. Um, You may know the song. The songwriter puts it this way. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. I think that's a great way to summarize it. As we're thinking of these truths that we're applying to our life spiritually, preparing for battle, we're doing so with a constant attitude of prayer. Paul says that it should be done at all times in the Spirit. Or in other words, prayer is like breathing in the Christian life. It's just an attitude. Okay, it's not something that we just do like once a day or once a week. The other day I was moving furniture and I was praying. I was praying for physical strength. I didn't get a hernia trying to carry something up the stairs, right? Like, I'm just, it's just an attitude. I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but it's, when I'm alone in my car, I'm normally just talking out loud to God. It's just, it becomes this, this attitude. It's just breathing. You're just talking all the time to God. And we want, to, we want to build that. We want to work at that so that it's just a regular attitude. Can I just tell you, there's nothing like going through a day talking to God all the time. Before everything, if you're a student, before a test, um, before a sports game, just talking to him. He loves you. He delights in you. He wants to hear from you. And so we're praying at all times. And then in the Spirit has the idea of asking the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us to pray. Which is why I often say um, that we pray the Scriptures. Use the scriptures as you're praying. This should be done with vigilance and perseverance. Remember, this is a battle. You know, I think a lot of times we don't pray like we ought to because we forget that we're in a battle. If you have a family member who is in a battle and you know they're about to be dispatched to to maybe the very very hottest part of the war, um, you better believe you're going to be praying, right? Physically speaking, they're in danger. And so there's this urgency and you say, I need to pray. And if we would realize how critical it is for us spiritually to be praying, how much danger there is every single day. 
I, I often say that it seems like in the Christian life sometimes you can go to bed dissatisfied in God and wake up with the devil just sitting on your head. I don't know what happened in the night. It's like, it's like when the ice starts to melt in the end of the day and then the next morning there's icicles again. And, and every day we need to wake up and pray. This is a supernatural fight. John Piper puts it this way. Prayer is not an intercom to the butler to bring us what we want. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call down the power of God. And, and if we understood that, I think we'd pray a lot more. Because we're pretty comfortable as Americans. We don't need a, a, a butler that much. Um, and it's sad that we would ever treat him like a butler. He's our maker. And, and so what this is, is an air attack. You've got your armor on. You're, you're, you're trusting in the Lord. You're charging into battle. And you realize, I need an airstrike. And you're praying and you're asking God to call down the power of God, the fire of God in the battle. This is awesome. That when we charge into warfare, we've got the air attack. We've got prayer. We've got a direct line to God, the maker of all things, who again could just flick Satan and be done with him. That's what he's saying. Prayer is, is so important. We're desperate for prayer in this spiritual battle. As we close today, I want to draw your attention to a repeated word in this passage. We see it often, and it kind of gets to the heart of what we need to do here. We see it in verse 11. We see it twice in verse 13, and we see it in verse 14, and it's simply this. Stand. Stand. Church, we need to stand. The enemy is going to do everything he can to knock us down. In a battle, if you're on the ground, you're not doing much good. Right? Boxing match. Guy goes down. They start counting. The enemy wants to knock us down. And what Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to do is stand. Stay on your feet. Stand your ground. And so as we close, I want to ask you a question. Have you done all to stand? Are you maintaining that vital and intimate relationship with the Lord so that you can be strong in his might? This is preparation. You don't go into battle and be like, oh, I should probably start talking to God. It's too late at that point. That's why I'm saying. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Come to church. That is preparedness for the battle. Are you maintaining that relationship? Are you putting your gospel armor on every day? I've given you that gospel prayer that helps you kind of anchor your heart and mind in the morning. Start with that if you need some help. Pray through the armor and ask God to help you apply it to your life. But, but are you ready? Are you being strong in the Lord? And lastly, are you praying at all times? Have you been treating prayer um, like that butler? Or do you realize the power you have with a simple prayer? Are you doing everything you can to stand? That's what Paul wants us to do. It seems like we're getting attacked from every direction. It can be overwhelming, but we need to stand. We can't give up. We can't stop fighting. When the enemy starts to knock us down, we get back up. We be strong in the Lord. We put on our gospel armor. We pray at all times. This is how we stand. Remember, the Christian life is not passive. It's a war. It's a fierce battle with a very powerful enemy. And so we need to take this seriously, and we need to stand firm. However, we don't need to fear. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And rest in that as we leave today as soldiers in the army of Christ, a worldwide subversive resistance movement. We've got the armor of God. We've got the, the power of God. We've got prayer. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
When the dust settles in this great conflict, you will be standing victorious because of God's strength. So have you done all to stand? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Have you done all to stand?